1: And ready to go. Hot Mike with Underwood Withrow underway on the Wednesday edition. We're on the eve of the weekend, according to Chad Withrow.
2: I mean, I feel like it's already here. Holiday week. Go ahead. Special Say exception it. made this week. Congratulations, everyone. The weekend has arrived on this Wednesday. Yeah, happy holidays. Merry Christmas to you and yours. Holiday vacation, I think, has already hit for a lot of people yeah. out there anyways. So yeah. I can sense that with the traffic slowdown. Oh, I love it. Over Nashville. Especially starting today and tomorrow, you're going to see a lot more of that. I feel like Friday after the show, uh, it's just going to be me uh, on the road heading back and everyone here in studio. No one else. We'll have the interstate to
1: ourselves. You and then whoever's uh, riding the bumper like uh, Clark Griswold and yeah, Chris's vacation. Yeah,
2: people carrying the tree You know, yeah. way too late in the game. They waited That's too it. long. They had to go find the last minute tree option and then they're carrying that home the day before uh, Christmas Eve, that's what it's going to be on Friday. We're but here. Friday's already arrived here now It's right. Wednesday.
1: Ready to go. And uh, John Fanta will join us, uh, Fox Sports College Basketball voice and analyst, uh, the group of uh, – the Field of 68, rather, is the uh, channel on uh, YouTube where you can find his great work as well. He'll join us in 20 minutes. Primary complaint each and every Wednesday, plus Michael McHenry joins us. And what's been a, a busy couple of weeks of Major League Baseball, now a slowdown is some free agents – continue to wait, and other franchises continue to play chess, maybe instead of checkers. We'll dive into that with McHenry coming up. Chad, good afternoon.
2: Good afternoon, Hutton. Uh, Fanta, by the way, and the Field of 68, uh, terrific job on their network of shows at yeah, night. Yeah, yeah. Because I, if you just scroll on X, and, and you're looking at what they're, they're constantly posting on X, their show link, I mean, I'll look down one time, and it's Jim Beheim. On with yeah, some guys his from his living this, room. He made his debut Talking this shows. Yep. I'll look down Chris again. Mack. Chris Mack. Um, Tyler Hansbro yeah. is terrific on it. Like If you're just watching college basketball at night as a nice complimentary piece of media and you see one of those shows and it's a subject you're interested in, just click on it and watch live. They, uh, Jeff Goodman, I know, is a big part of it too. Uh, Fanta they, they brings really, the energy. They do terrific work. And Fanta, man... I love people who love what they do, <laughs> he loves it. and I love people who love the sport they cover. That dude loves college hoops. And he lives it, too. Loves yeah, college right. hoops unabashedly, and I can get behind that. One of the things I loved about Tony Romo, and I still love about him, he loves, he loves ball. It's very similar. He loves football. That, that type of energy is contagious. So I love Fanta for that reason. Dude loves him some college hoops. He knows it well, and he's going to be on with us here soon. Can't wait to talk to him. Chad, we, uh, we used to
1: love National Signing Day. And then it became watered down, and now it's just kind of an afterthought. It's still big in the realm of what did your team do compared to your rival, compared to your teams in your conference. But the impact is far less on a day like today, given the fact that a day like today seems to happen in college football, especially not every day, but a lot of days throughout the offseason.
2: Yeah, signing day has, to me, kind of become – signing season and and not just signing high school recruits signing transfers. It's, it's this hodgepodge of transfer portal roster defection and high school signing season, which now signing day constitutes two days, early signing period today in late mid to late December. Then another one in early February, that was the old signing day, but Hutton, you know, this year's hosting shows. I mean, that, Early February National Signing Day, you plan for it. I mean, that was one, if you're in media, you're planning different guests on from different schools you're covering. You're planning the national college recruiting experts to come on your show.
1: Possibilities of the storyline.
2: You plan those things out in advance. And I mean, you know, good sites that cover recruiting like an on three, they plan all that stuff out. Our guy, Andy Staples, we had on earlier this week, he's live pretty much all day with shows covering different things, talking to college coaches, specific sites like that. They're all in on it and covering it. But I think from just the normal fan perspective, you're following your team like normal, but it's just not the same level of excitement. It was a Christmas morning type feeling for college football fans for years and years. You wake up On National Signing Day, it's like going under the Christmas tree and seeing what's going to happen. There's drama. You go to bed at night worried if that five-star defensive lineman is actually going to sign the letter of intent and fax it in. The fax machine is a thing on National Signing Day, too, that we never talk about any other time, but we talk about it on days like today. It just feels different now because it all blends together. I think the college football offseason, Hutton, is better than it's ever been from a drama standpoint. Because of transfer portal, NIL deals, everything else that goes into it, it's become what the NBA offseason has become, a reality show on Bravo. That's what it was for an NBA. It was great to follow on social media. Guys leaving, visiting other places, trades possibly taking place, trash talk going down. That's college football now, but it's not a day, it's a season. So National Signing Day, which is today, which may even surprise some people out there to hear that because it's a little bit quieter than usual. A lot of hay is in the barn with high school recruiting. There have been some flips that are high profile today, which we'll discuss throughout the show. But for the most part, Hutton, this was a day that you marked on your sports calendar and that you prepped for as a show. And you had guests on to talk about it. It just, it doesn't warrant that anymore because it's now an entire season and not just a day. When did it
1: actually lose the luster though? Because it's still the national signing day when you have still the rest of everything, there's still the drama behind putting the hat on to me it, it lost the luster when everything centered around which hat you're going to put on and you know you've got all these different options and it, uh, to you me you know I
2: haven't seen any of those today the the ceremonies of the school with the the, the hat picks and everything that's that's kind of gone that part I, of it's gone the down only one I rough.
1: saw was Jeremiah Smith who stuck with Ohio State yeah. instead of the, the the thought was he could flip to Miami or Florida state and well, you know uh, for years, if oh, you're on social media, any website, I, you
2: couldn't avoid
1: the one, seeing the picture of a high school kid with Landon, five hats in front of him. Landon Collins with his mom sitting there who hates getting upset, LSU fan and staring him down whenever he chose Alabama.
2: People grabbing a live bulldog uh, to commit to Georgia, right? right? Or having the live props of mascots and things uh, also. Yeah, you're right. That's you don't, not as big of a deal. You don't see that,
1: but that to me, like you would hear those that were all into it, right, that added to the reality show. But there, you know, the those that were following National Signing Day every single season, every every year, we would hear from massive fans, Chad diehards that hated that, right? That it was becoming more of a TV show than an actual decision. Uh, you're more about the drama instead of it's more about the build up to Christmas Day than the actual Christmas Day.
2: Yeah, right? but I think the drama being taken out of it. Old Miss is a program that has has uh, invoked some drama on this day with their. Mary Flip Miss campaign that started. Now Auburn with Hugh Freeze, the yeah. former Ole Miss head coach. Uh, Hugh Freeze, there. they've added some drama today by some, some high-profile flips. O- Ohio State has been a part of it, Oregon. But for the most part, I think the drama is kind of taken out of it because the drama expanded. Really, the biggest difference to me, Hutton, is two factors here, with it not being as big of a deal. The two separate signing days – February was the big signing day. Everyone, that was the first day you could sign. That's when most everyone did it. You had people who'd wait a week, who'd wait a little bit longer and do it right. This is just the first day it happens. So now December's the new signing day. That's when most sign. There will be a second signing day. And that's going to be, you know, you're going to see some high-profile visits in January leading up to that day. So I think adding the signing day earlier has removed some of the drama from it. I think that's a good thing for the sport. I think college coaches wanted that to be the case, to happen early where they could get guys in instead of later. Um, But I think everything taking place all at once, transfer portal, you're trying to figure out your roster and who's coming back for a COVID year, who's coming back for their fifth year, all of those things. you, You smash all that in one of those Pittsburgh sandwiches that have fries on top of it also, and it just leads to every day kind of feeling the same. And not having one special signing day. Well, the other thing, I too, think that's the big difference that I feel today is yeah. today feels like every day covering the portal the
1: last two weeks. And the, the, the other factor too, it's also good for the player. The the majority, I would say, of players, if you're waiting until February, you're certain you've got a scholarship offer and you're going right. Yeah, but there are countless examples. You're
2: of, good enough where someone's going to hold a spot gonna, back for you, you hold or, make, or make one for yeah, you.
1: Yeah, yes, you're you're not going to be jumped. Right, and that one national signing day in February, you'd have a scholarship pool because you'd get another commitment and another player was left looking around and it wasn't a flip, it was just being left behind because there weren't enough spots there weren't enough scholarships to be handed out by said school. A better player in the mind of the coach and the program and the the system got the scholarship now now you can sign early in December, and you're you've got a one of those spots, yeah, let's talk in. about
2: that a little bit too because. I I'm not saying that everyone should do this because most want to get it out of the way. Most. I mean, I think most kids don't want the drama. They want to make their decision and figure out where they're going to go and have a and, spot and most know to have where a chance to go. play and have a chance yeah. to be developed and win and all that. They're not negotiating and they're getting it out of the way quick. Right. That's just a two or three guys yes. in each class of 20 to 25 that you worry about that may be into the drama more than others that could be thinking about going somewhere else or, you're targeting those two to three guys in another signing class that could be thinking about coming to you. It works both ways when it comes to that. But Hutton, if I'm one of the top guys, let's say I'm a an offensive tackle. All right, and I'm a four or five-star guy. I know that I've got options all over the Big Ten and SEC, and I've really whittled it down to two or three places I'm looking at. If you want to put those programs to the test and find out who really wants you, wait till after this first signing day. Wait until going on visits in January and February where you're being wooed on campus at a big basketball game and you're really getting to the bottom of it because you already have guys in your class on campus working out. They are in school, a lot of these guys. Most of them are early enrollees now, right? So you're hanging out with your freshman class. You're going, you're going through the process later, but you're finding out the depth on the team. And that's how you really separate, hey, who really needs me and wants me? And who doesn't? Because a lot of the programs are going to pressure you and say, we're not going to have a spot for you right. if you wait until February. But if I really want to whittle it down to the schools that really need me and want me, that's that's an interesting power play in sort of a subtle way for high school recruits. If you know you're going to have opportunities, I would almost say wait and figure out what that recruiting class looks like after uh, the the ink is dried and everyone signed. Figure out what that roster looks like after transfers. And then you really get more one-on-one time with those coaching staffs if you do that. Yeah, and
1: a lot of coaches will use a couple things as leverage, though. The next portal decisions, right? Where you can still get that player that you want at certain positions. And you also want the player there as an early enrollee, if possible, for the spring semester. That's the other factor as to why you would join now, as to February, as you're on campus, you're there. Uh, there are certain recruits that are going through practices, apparently. You yeah, know, and that are just arriving. And or keep just in committing. mind,
2: too, there's also that post spring practice transfer portal window. Yeah. So that's another date to keep in mind. Guys go through spring practice, realize they're not high on the depth chart. Bolt. They're not happy. They bolt. And then you can go and, and fill out some spots as well on your roster with guys that decide to bolt. Most know throughout the season and know once the season ends. So that, just like the later signing period, that's going to be light with guys in the portal as, a, as opposed to right now. Yes. Where you still have so many guys who haven't signed or committed elsewhere. Uh, one of the signing day surprises that I've found um, covering programs, the dudes that sign on signing day along with the high school players in the portal, that fan base of schools didn't even know were in the portal. Um, I'll give you an example, uh, just looking at some stuff with Tennessee's recruiting class. I see them announce some linebacker from Wofford, that I didn't even know was in the portal or they were recruiting, that they had on campus, that just they announced a signing. I'm thinking, oh, who's this guy? I've never read about him or heard of him. And I see that he's a three-year starting linebacker at Wofford (laughs) that's making the move up to be more of a depth piece at the higher level. But those are surprises, too, for teams. You're probably going to see that if you're following your team. You might see one or two guys that you've heard of that are either preferred walk-on, preferred walk-on, that are really getting paid for in NIL on the roster, or guys moving up from FCS to help add depth that have experience. So how, di- how difficult is it to see
1: the 2,000 players in the in the portal?
2: To go and look at the transfer portal? Yeah, all of them. I don't think it's that hard. I think you have to have a subscription or membership to the, the NCAA portal to see it.
1: But the, the, I mean, it's pretty easy to look over Wofford, you know, the one guy. Yeah. But, I mean, that, that, that gives you an idea of how many players are in that group as to uh, a fan base could not even know that your team was looking at. Them.
2: Yeah, and look, as a Tennessee fan, I, I follow I it. follow our guys at VolQuest yeah. with on three. So if they're not reporting it about a guy on campus or who Tennessee has offered, I don't remember ever reading about them offering this player. Even so I'm looking at I see a defensive back from Rhode Island, you know, as an example and think they really want this guy, and they think he's a big time talent that was at a lower level. Jared Verse, a great example. Florida State yeah. from Albany. There are guys that major programs are after in FCS. Uh, Defensive back from Villanova is another one that a lot of people are after in FCS. But when I see a guy I didn't even know was in the portal or that had visited a school (laughs) that signs, I'm thinking, well, there's a surprise. Didn't even know that was an option. Uh, Any any big surprises today? With
1: Jeremiah Smith, again, he's headed to Ohio State. That's another five-star wide receiver that joins that class and that litany and list of Buckeyes that have been there and done that. Yeah. it was thought that he could flip, but he didn't. And, again, that was the hat ceremony of taking his talents to the Ohio well, State University. Well, it
2: giveth and it taketh away, it, right? As I always say, with the, with the portal and on signing day, Ohio State also lost a high four-star receiver to Oregon today that flipped. So retained the one, lost another one to Oregon. I think Oregon's the big story, from what I'm reading, of getting guys to flip and having a great close to signing day. But the teams that t- up top still are up top, Georgia
1: – Right? Like, every, yeah. everyone's still going to be
2: chasing um, Amaris, the same teams. Amaris Williams is a guy from North Carolina, big-time defensive line recruit that flipped from Florida to Auburn. So, that's just more of, of Florida hurting a bit. I know Florida also got a surprise four-star guy uh, to flip. So, it's, it's kind of a mixed bag. But, yeah, Hutton, to, to your point, you're going to see some familiar names at the top. Right now, the top five, and this is updated as of this second. Okay. Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, Texas, and Oregon as the big mover, uh, up to five. So Georgia, SEC power. Alabama, SEC power. Ohio State recruits like an SEC power. Texas now in the SEC. Oregon led by a former SEC coordinator and Dan Lanning who knows how they do it at Georgia and knows how to operate in recruiting. Those are your top five. Coming up. John Fanta joins us. We'll talk college hoops
1: across the OutKick network, which starting January 3rd, the only place to catch OutKicks live and fearless content live, OutKick.com slash watch. Stick with us for Hot Mike with Adam and Row. 6th and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas to you. How am I with Edna Withrow across the Outkick Network? Chad, I we got a, a very generous uh,
2: Christmas gift from Old Smoky. Yeah, we did. No, very nice of them. They've always been such great partners no of ours. And Love them. Have a lot of good uh, working relationships with people here in the building, outside the building at 6th and Peabody. And uh, certainly wish them a uh, Merry Christmas. Uh, happy holidays for everyone at Old Smoky. We will and say, Yeehaw. Th-
1: say the same to John Fanta, who joins us. Always uh, nice enough to join us uh, to talk some
2: hoops with uh, Fox Sports. The man Sports loves and... hoops. Yeah, yeah, I love oh, that about and... John Fanta. The, oh, the the love of college basketball is infectious with this guy. Loves it and lives it. Uh, yes.
1: Field of 68 is, is fantastic. Fanta, how are you, man?
3: I'm doing great, guys. Happy holidays to you and yours. Thanks so much for having me. The journey to March is on, and it's been a fun one thus far.
1: I've, I've told Chad multiple times, like, I, I'm the one, I'm the guy who doesn't really get into college hoops recently until January, February. This year, not the case. To me, that's, it's a lot like, it's a lot like uh, that they, they, they don't mind facing the top opponents team by team because, hey, it's not going to count against you as much as a mid-major or, uh, scheduling a, a patsy wood at this point whenever it comes time and, to make the tournament am i am i right or and wrong it's there? also
2: john it's not just what Hutton's talking about with like the north carolinas kansas kentuckys right. playing everybody that they've always done for the last 30 years it's all of those teams 15 through 40 in the net rankings that are also playing everyone seemingly uh, uh, that they can on their schedules. really cool to watch a lot of those games
3: Absolutely. Whereas college football, you lose a game or two and your season's over in college basketball. You can lose 10 and still win a national championship. I mean, that that's just that's the fact UConn lost eight times last year and they put together one of the most dominant runs we've ever seen. So you guys make great points. I think we're in a, a terrific time in college hoops. And here's the thing. The NIL is keeping great college hoops players in college. Zach Eady, what he's doing right now, if you just say he's just big, he can't win in March, you're ignoring the fact that he's a seven foot four, 300 pound monster who walks into the gym and gets 25 and 12 like it's nothing every night at least. And I think that that storyline's really interesting. Brayden Smith and Fletcher Lawyer, that Purdue win over Arizona was incredible. Guys, we could have the first repeat national champion since Billy Donovan in Florida in 06-07. And right now, if you ask me to make a pick, I'd take UConn. UConn is the most complete team in America. They answer every question. Donovan Klingon is an elite rim protector. Cam Spencer and Alex Caravan stretch the floor. And Tristan Newton's playing like an All-American point guard. Kentucky is back. Kentucky's sexy. The Wildcats matter again. Their freshman class is electrifying. If you haven't seen Reed Shepard and Robert Dillingham get going yet, what are you waiting for? John Calipari's got a formula. I am buying Big Blue Nation. You guys know I wasn't buying them last year. I'm right. buying them right now. So this sport is compelling.
1: Is it? Is it tough to buy Purdue given the fact that we have been there and seen this before, and we've also seen what's happened in the tournament? They're back at number one after beating Arizona. Where do you see them if you're going with UConn right now if you had to make a pick?
3: So I would take UConn, All right. Yep. And I would still take Kansas because I trust Bill Self more. Hunter Dickinson made that polarizing transfer move from Michigan to Kansas. And I'll tell you what, he, KJ Adams, and Kevin McCuller have been a dynamic trio. But I think it's important for Purdue to make a run similar to Virginia in 2019 when they lost to UMBC but then won the national championship. I'm not saying Purdue has to win the national title, but you just said it. You've been paying attention to college basketball more. If Purdue loses in the first weekend of the NCAA tournament again, that could draw some people away from watching the sport in December because they're going to say, Purdue beat Arizona, Purdue won the Maui Invitational, but it didn't matter in March Madness. I think for the health of college basketball, it's important that Purdue goes on a run. I am buying, guys. I am not cautious to buy. I think it's easy to be cautious to buy. I'm a little bit of a risk taker. I'll put the chips all in on the table. Zach Eadie's too talented to go down again. Purdue's guards got better. They were freshmen last year. Like, you you have to acknowledge that. These guards that got overwhelmed in the tournament, got overwhelmed late in the year, they were freshmen. Freshmen tend to get overwhelmed. They're sophomores now, and they're better for it.
1: Providence host Butler on Saturday at noon. Phantom will be on the call on FS1.
2: Yeah, and it's uh, you look through – by the way, I love the net rankings. I know this is kind of, I think, the third or fourth year we've had them, but I feel like it sort of consolidates things of what I need to look at in terms of what the selection committee will be looking at come March. Um, Looking at the net rankings right now, what stands out to me is not Houston at one or Arizona at two, figured that coming in, but BYU at three, a team I've not had a chance to watch play yet, John. What do you think about – that BYU program being third right now in the net rankings. And what does the common college basketball fan need to know about this squad?
3: Yeah, well, I I think when you look at Mark Pope's team, it's that they are incredibly balanced on the offensive end of the floor. At 10 and one, Jackson Robinson is a veteran guard who's averaging 17 points per game. This kid is playing at an incredibly high level right now for the Cougars. He's on his third school Hey, transfer portal era, sometimes you move around. He was at Texas A&M. He was at Arkansas. He's found a home at BYU. So Jackson Robinson's the name to know. But here's what I love about the Cougars. When fully healthy, they have six players at 10-plus points per game. Six players at 10-plus points per game. Their offense is incredibly balanced. Spencer Johnson's averaging eleven, six, and 5 assists per game. So they've got elite guard play coming from Johnson, coming from Robinson, and they shoot the three over 37%. One of the most efficient offensive teams in the country. What's interesting, though, is now you got to go through the gauntlet, guys. BYU's in the Big 12 now. They're going to swallow more lumps, but they'll also have a better resume. They'll make the tournament, but I think when it's all said and done, this team will be like in a 7-10 or 8-9 game. I do think they're going to take some some losses in the Big 12 because Kansas, Houston, Baylor, Oklahoma, they, they've gotten off to an incredible start to the season. It's wild. The Sooners, they put an unbeaten record on the line tonight against North Carolina. Huge game for Oklahoma. But for it's the Big 12 is the best conference in college hoops. The teams picked 12th and 13th in the preseason poll, Oklahoma and BYU have been two of the best
2: in the country. I still got to wrap my head around Houston and BYU in the Big 12 also. As you brought up Houston, another Big 12 team. Crazy to think about. Memphis and Penny Hardaway off to a really good start. Impressive win over Virginia last night. What do you think about the start for this Memphis squad and maybe their potential moving forward?
3: Give me all the stock. Memphis is my national championship dark horse. Yeah, I know that sounds crazy right now, but I really believe that this team can get on a run in March, and they're showing it right now. David Jones is one of the best scorers in college hoops. He's averaging 21 points per game. He's old. He's been through a number of college stops. He's in year four of college hoops. He was at DePaul and St. John's, two losing programs, and now he's found a home for Penny Hardaway. Javon Quinterly, veteran guard, was at Alabama, now But Memphis, he initiates the offense, five assists per game. They're better on the offensive end of the floor because they can go to somebody late in the game and get buckets. Jaquan Walden, you know, uh, Kayla Mills, they have a good complimentary cast. And with Memphis, when you're talking about Memphis, you're talking about a team that's always going to defend. One thing you could say about Penny, and he's been in the face of criticism for not getting Memphis on the deep runs, He's consistently got a top 20 defense in college hoops. They're 21 in Kempom right now. The difference is they're scoring the basketball a lot easier because Jones is on the wing and he's making things happen. Memphis last year offensively made a climb. But you look at this program and their progression, they haven't always been a great offensive team in college hoops. They now are because you have a lead guard in Quinterly, you have a wing in Jones, and Memphis just picked up a mid-year transfer. Naquan Tomlin from Kansas State. Gotten some off-the-court trouble in Manhattan. He goes to Memphis. Penny Hardaway says, I'll give you a second chance. He is. Good pickup because they've had uh, some drama with a big man, Jordan Brown, who's not going to play again this season for them. They get Tomlin to fill that gap. They're deep. They defend. And David Jones, they're going to give him the ball late in games. Penny Hardaway is back. Memphis is back.
2: Well, and a lot of these programs, you know, they're never back because they're always there. And we talked earlier about the Blue Bloods that play those round-robin, big early-season games we see every year. A good example of programs that have elevated themselves into that conversation that also are getting some high-profile games are right now at number 9 and 10 in the net rankings, Tennessee and Alabama. And if you want to look at an example of why you schedule tough... Tennessee's got three losses right now. They're ninth in the net rankings. Alabama is six and four and one and four against quad one. But because they have played five quad one games, they're sitting there at 10th. What do you think about both of those programs right now, John, and their strategy for scheduling anyone and everyone in the early season?
3: Well, I think it's great. And why wouldn't you do it? This is exactly why the teams that don't schedule people, what are you doing? Because these teams are losing the high-caliber competition, but they're still in a great place in the metrics. So so what? There's something to gain by playing the sisters of the poor and winning by 45? You're not going to get people in the seats. You're going to have to pay the school for playing you, and nobody's going to pay attention to the game. What good is that? What good is that? Tennessee and Alabama says, you know what? We're going to play people. And we're going to play them at a high level, and we're going to outkick anybody else in our league who is, frankly, racking up wins for no good reason. So my my impressions are, Tennessee to me, Tennessee's got the higher ceiling. I don't trust Alabama defensively. I think Alabama is a bad defensive team, bad right now. Their metrics are fine, but they would have a win if they defended. They don't defend. They'll make the tournament, though, because of his scheduling strategy. Tennessee, this is Rick Barnes' best team because Dalton Connect, the wing, throwback player, Northern Colorado transfer, he's having a terrific season. You got Santiago Vescovi, you got Sakai Ziegler, they got balance. I really like this Volunteers group.
1: Big A season is here. Fanta Patino saying the St. John's roster he's assembled is a, a mystery to him. He doesn't know what to expect. What do you expect? as Patino begins conference play.
3: Interesting. They've got Xavier tonight. I think it's a must-win game for St. John's. What do I expect? Well, Joel Soriano is one of the best bigs in the country. In the last two seasons, only Zach Eady has more double-doubles than Soriano. He's got over 30. So he's a beast. The key for St. John's is defense. They've got to play some defense. they got to rack up some stops. They've been porous defensively. Now, Xavier will come at you. They got a guard in Quincy Olivari. Sean Miller designs great stuff offensively. But St. John's has to play New York City basketball. They're not tough right now. They're 7-3. and They're floating. But now it's time to start surging. It's going to be tough, guys. The Big East at the top is a gauntlet because UConn's elite, Marquette, still really good. They got shocked by Providence. Guess what, guys? Providence is 45 and three in their last 48 home games. They own 40 home wins over the last three years. Nobody in college hoops has more home wins. Do not go to Rhode Island to play a game. That's a house of horse. Uh, Creighton's really good. Villanova's still capable. So for St. John's, I think they can make the tournament, but they've got to play defense. If anybody can find the adjustments, it's Rick Patino.
2: I love how you mentioned that New York City style of basketball. Even though St. John's is located in New York City, is it fair to say that what Coach Hurley does at UConn is the closest thing in the Big East to that New York City
3: style of basketball with toughness that you just mentioned there, John? Right now, Connecticut is the standard. And when they play at the Garden, they fill the arena. They really do. St. John's isn't doing that yet. Now, in in Patino's defense, he took over a program that had not won an NCH tournament game in 23 years. I think everybody thought instant rebuild That's done might take a year to get it fully going. I expect him to win. I expect that drought to end. But to answer your question, Connecticut's the premier Northeast program. This isn't even up for discussion guys over the last two years, they're 27 and one in non-conference games, 27 and one. All 27 wins have come by double figures. To me, Tristan Newton's playing as well as any guard in America. Donovan Klingens, that next great UConn big. They answer every question. I was talking to a coach earlier this year doing a game, and he said the thing with Connecticut is they force you to make a choice defensively when you're guarding them. The Huskies are a wagon.
1: John Fanta, we love the passion, man. Also, also a wagon, John. Yes, that's right. When it comes to college
3: basketball, never lose
1: it. We, we, we uh, love you for that, and we'll be tuned into the game this weekend. Uh, You're on the call, FS1, noon Eastern. Uh, Looking forward to it.
3: Thank you, guys. A Butler team that's better, ten and two under Mata, and Providence also ten and two. I look forward to having that one. I look forward to joining you guys again later down the road.
2: Yeah, we'll be watching for
1: sure. Thank you, Providence, and uh, catch him on the Field of 68 as well. Primary complaint.
3: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
1: been more trash talk in college football this year than in a long time. How huh? about with that? With our rolls on across the Outkick Network uh, from coaches talking trash to each other that what I mean, just... Recency, I'm just going back to like Sabin and Jimbo, yeah. Uh, and even coaches calling out the NCAA that's happened multiple times, and now here it is, National Signing Day, and Mac Brown's at it again.
2: North Carolina and NC State, uh, heated rivalry there between those two, especially now Mac Brown and Dave Doran. So, Dave Doran following, I, I didn't even realize this. I've seen some crazy stuff Dave Doran did in post game interviews uh, after a big win, but Dave Doran. Following a rivalry game win, thirty-nine twenty over North Carolina last month, the ACC network cameras were rolling, and I guess this is one of those like inside access shows they do. Yeah, in the post-game locker room speech, and in this speech, which is <laughs> kind of funny, Dave Doran says, "Quote: You know, it's been one thousand four hundred and sixty days since those pieces of bleep beat us," is what he told the team to a raucous ovation and people screaming and yelling. It's now
1: inscribed on the walls of that.
2: And um, Mac Brown. Mac Brown apparently has been wait, uh, waiting to <laughs> respond to this because on Wednesday, again, this is Trey Wallace has the write- up at outkick.com. You can read it. But in his signing day press conference today, um, he says, quote, "In our last ball game with a rival school after the game, the head coach of the school called our players a piece of bleep." I apologize for that language, but I've never heard something like that before. I'm disappointed. I thought it was classless. It's not true. Number one, we didn't play well in that game. We didn't coach well in that game. It's been very well documented, and I got that. But you don't call kids a piece of bleep, and I've addressed that with our team. That from Mac Brown. Mac Brown, who's sort of the elderly gentleman statesman of college football, always been well-liked at every stop, North Carolina the first time, at Texas. Uh, they didn't want to run him off in Texas because he's such a good guy and good with administration and boosters and everyone else, and he's been beloved in his return to North Carolina. Uh, so that, to me, is like the, your grandfather. You know, when you go off to college and you come back and you say something at the dinner table you shouldn't say, yeah. and you're speaking out of line, and your grandfather has to kind of you know jerk a knot in you a little <laughs> bit and make sure that y- he know you know who the boss is and how you should be acting in public. That is what Mac Brown is doing. He is lecturing Dave Doran on what you should not say to your team. Ted, how about uh, Jerry Kill and Mac Brown back to back days here? Yeah, not bad. Well, Mac Brown calling someone classless. Jerry Kill saying I have class. Well, also I'll... saying I'll just go to Mexico and drink margaritas. I got class. I got class. But I, I have class, unlike that that rascal of an AD at uh, at New Mexico. I love this. I love the bad blood. Me too. Uh, I don't think any anything that Mac Brown said is wrong. I think it's also a little bit tough when you start trying to adjudicate locker room post-game speeches, <sighs> right, when, like, cameras are in and you're seeing stuff. So if you're going to comment on that, um, you know, where do you draw the line? I, I do believe Mac Brown when he said he's not – I don't think he's ever going to go in and call a team they just beat, a, you know, a bunch of pieces of bleep uh, to his own team in, in any setting at all. So I believe him when he says that. I also th- know and th- think that I know a lot of coaches that would say exactly <laughs> what Dave Doran said. No doubt. In a post-game setting with his team.
1: Jerry Kills uh, got class. We've got, we've got gear. We've got some gear at the OutKick store. Right now, the new and improved OutKick store, finally live, stock up on golf polos, T-shirts, hats, and more. Shop.OutKick.com. That's shop.OutKick.com. George Pickens, who, well, he didn't have effort. Uh, uh, Blocking downfield uh, for his Steelers teammate, he's saying that, you know what? It's media's opinion. <laughs> media's, uh, it's just the media's opinion. And he goes on to say that what happened to Tank Dell at Houston with how he was rolled up on, that's in his mind where he's like, it, you know, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, you can only block for too long and then there's a chance of higher risk of injury. I'm thinking, like, block for too How about just block? Period. I, I can't have the guy on the field if he's giving that effort. If I'm Mike Tomlin, I, if I'm... Uh, he's playing for the Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh Steelers, and he's not even trying to help a teammate at the goal line score a touchdown. And he's complaining about... Worried about getting injured? Comparing it to what happened with Tank Dell? I If you're worried about getting injured, what are you doing? What are you doing playing football? Blocking downfield is part of this at the position, and he's saying I'm worried about getting injured, so I'm not gonna do it. That was a follow up answer to the media just having an opinion about whether or not he was giving effort on said
2: play. It's ridiculous. This is not the Pittsburgh Steeler way. This is not what Mike Tomlin it's also wants in position. Not players, opinion, it's a fact. Yeah, and you are a professional dude. I mean, you can't you cannot publicly state that you were holding back because you saw a guy get injured, and now you're not going to try to execute a play and help a teammate score by blocking for him because you're nervous about getting rolled up from behind. So now the answer to that is don't give as much effort. I I would argue and contend that a lot of times it's a lack of effort that gets people hurt in situations. I I think the National Hockey League is a great example. I've talked to players about this, and they'll say it's so hard because it's one of those games where if you are not – Full tilt and alert and ready to go, you will get hurt. If you go in saying, I'm going to go three-quarter speed or half speed, you are getting injured in that sport because you're not ready for someone checking you into the glass. You're not alert of what's going on around you. You can't do it. And I think when you're giving half effort, that's a lot of times when you end up injured. That'd be my my lesson to George Pickens.
1: It's also, he's allowing Here's, one more play to potentially happen where one more injury could happen. Could
2: happen, and also... Because he would have scored there. You know, I, I can't have Warren. that effort that everyone saw, but what you really can't have on a team is a guy who sees that and knows and gives that
0: response. I would like to argue that is the Pittsburgh Steelers way. If you look at what we've seen recently, Antonio Brown, Chase Claypool, now George Pickens, I mean, three of their top wide receivers acting like this time and time again starting to seem like that's what I'm used to seeing from this organization.
2: I I think, well, it's, it's, to me, it's less organization and more savior complex gone wrong because I think you've got coaches and GMs that believe you can bring guys in that have questionable character and have done questionable things and we can fix them. Right. You start, I think this is where the Steelers have lost their way a little bit. Antonio Brown, they tried to stick with him way too long, tried to stick with him way too long. And the guy is a nut job and it was not going to work out. Um, Le'Veon Bell, you mentioned, right? Not necessarily the Steelers way, but a really good player. Well, he chose to sit out. Yeah, chose to sit out. But point being, when you're deciding to bring guys in and you think our locker room will fix them, our coaching staff will fix them, being a Pittsburgh Steeler will fix these things, they're learning that some guys are beyond fixing. Well, Antonio Brown's a part of the 2010's
1: All-Decade team. Yeah, he's a really good player. I, I I, I don't blame them for sticking with Antonio Brown, who put up numbers... Week in and week out, fifteen hundred yard seasons, um, and his final season in Pittsburgh, 104 one hundred and four receptions, twelve hundred yards, fifteen touchdowns. Well, you got the. But, uh, I mean, uh, to me, that's. Uh, yeah, he, he was a good player. There's no comparison to George Pickens and Antonio Brown.
0: Not not from a production standpoint, but from an but that's antics what it is standpoint. About.
1: That's what Antics standpoint. If you produce, fine. George Pickens isn't producing to the level that warrants anything like this. And by the way, I haven't seen players just stand around while their running back is at the goal line trying to score in the first quarter or running away from the defensive back that picked off their quarterback instead of jogging away. I shouldn't even say running, jogging away uh, the way that Pickens was also doing in this game.
2: Yeah, and I, again, I, I think that guys that are in positions of, of roster management, whether it be general manager or coach, whoever's bringing guys in, you see talent and you think it can't be that bad. Right? This guy's not gonna be, he's not gonna give that effort that we, we saw with George Pickens on that play. I can fix him. The guys in my locker right. room can fix him. And and there comes a point where that's why I think it's such a big offseason for for Mike Tomlin. There has to be some some self reflection with him and what they have in that locker room, what their standard's gonna be, what their identity is going to be moving forward. And, and he's got a, a self-assess with that. I think he will. But what I'm seeing right here from George Pickens is zero self-assessment. Just, oh, that's the media's opinion. I'm not, I'm not going to listen to that.
1: Well, Tomlin's even criticizing him. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not just the media's uh, surface opinion, as he put it. It is time for primary complaints. It's time to air our top grievance of the week. You can complain all you want.
3: My job is so unfulfilling. Don't run away from your feelings. It's time for a hot Mike's primary complaint.
1: Guys, my primary complaint this week, specifically with Uber Eats, um, it's there's going to be a big surcharge based on the delivery of all this. I get it, but those delivering the food, whether it's burger, a salad, pasta, whatever you may be having delivered, sushi, whatever. 15% 15% is what they want you to click on. And to me, it's the same effort, regardless of whatever's in the bag that they're dropping off at the door or delivering to the studio. 15% of said price from said restaurant should not apply to the same delivery effort. That's my primary complaint.
2: So my primary complaint is going to be, uh, not to those necessarily in our YouTube chat that, that I love to interact with every day, okay. but, but people that I hear from on social media that they, there's a video posted and they respond to the caption of the video or what's over it in a question. A question's posed, but it's clear that the video is showing our answers to the question and our discussion about it. So simple question is posed and then people just respond to the question being posed or poke holes in the question being posed without actually even watching 10 seconds of the video. Here's my thing it's free speech, right? You can say whatever you want to anyone you want at any time. I don't think that's always wise, but you certainly have the right to do that if you want. But if you're going to be so involved as to hit reply to a video posted and not watch the video and criticize it because of the question posed in the word block on the video, maybe hesitate before doing that. And decide that if you're going to go as far as to criticize someone, maybe listen to the audio. Maybe watch the video. And then if you've got criticisms, uh, by all means, have at it. Let us know. Let anyone know that you're responding to. Don't just criticize the words that are up there that, oh, by the way, the host of those shows that you're responding to had nothing to do with the words written on that. They have everything to do with what was said in the video. So if you're going to go after the host, make sure you listen and watch what they're actually saying. That's my primary complaint. The words on the
1: uh, on the on what you're saying, the graphic probably have nothing to do with the opinion of said host. Exactly, that's what I'm saying. It's it's clickbait. It's,
0: it's an editorial deal that's not the host call. So respond to the host, what
2: they're saying if you're going to hit us up.
0: Yeah, but but for that, Chad, like we, we can't just have our short attention spans. You know, you actually got to take the time to read through something or watch through it. But the, that's the, not 2023. To me, it's self
2: defeating. Also, because we have short attention spans, yet we have the energy and ability to type a long post-up to someone and right. respond to them and take the time to do that while
0: only spending two seconds to read five words and not watch the video. That that part I don't understand. Yeah, no, I got no disagreement with you on that. Guys, my primary complaint, I'm actually going to go back to uh, talking about the Pittsburgh Steelers. It's not a problem with the Steelers in this case. It's a problem with the NFL in general. DeMonte Kazee got suspended for the entire season for his hit on Michael Pittman Jr. Uh, on during Saturday's game. It was an egregious hit, but at the same time, we go back to that age-old... Well, what do you expect the defender to do in that situation? It's just not hit them. My thing is, I never hear the NFL talking about, well, if they're all about safety, how come there's no onus on the offense to actually do something? What if you started to throw or find quarterbacks that threw terrible passes and put their receivers in awful positions? Do you think that might make the receiver or the quarterback think twice about throwing that ball to where he's not going to get his own player killed? My. Might- My situation here is just that you look at this game, and we love football. We know it's changing. It's going to continue to change because they have to be about the safety. I just want to actually hear the NFL say, you know, maybe the offense should take some precautions to not put their own players at jeopardy and be in the way of harm.
2: It's what Tom Brady continues to argue. Well, they're not going to be able to do that though, because like you can't they, you can't find people for well, mistakes. I, well, you can you can find
1: based on violation of a rule. Are you going to yeah. put a rule in that that the all teams have to turn over their game plans and their their scheme so that they then the NFL will then analyze what the quarterback should have done on said play and put the ball where based on the defensive coverage that was there well, and do what you they are to.
2: Do you stop running certain routes because it may be dangerous if the quarterback well, they may, throws in that spot? Special teams. Yeah. I, look, I, Tom Brady is the number one uh, fan of this whole idea that it's the quarterback's fault uh, on all of it. Look, well, quarterbacks I, make mistakes. That's part of the game also. I, I don't think any quarterback is making the conscious decision as they're under pressure, I'm going to throw at this guy to try to get him injured. Yeah, And I know that he's likely going to get injured if I if he can, catches it. I'm also anti-fine.
1: Reduce the fines of the defensive players that are being penalized and then penalized during the week. Instead of adding more fines to the plate of the NFL. Just that, go straight to suspension. Right. here Or the refs can't even speak for themselves. Headline's next.